bass is dropping, so you know it's time for DLC, your downloadable conversation for the week. Wherever you are, however you are listening, and whatever you happen to be doing, maybe you're maybe you're one of our geeks and sneaks. Maybe you're running right now, and if so, I know you can do it. Keep on trucking along. We're glad you've tuned in to DLC. DLC delivered the way it's meant to be, completely free, and that's thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! They made that possible, bringing DLC to you. DLC, of course, is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's with two N's and one T, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis... The guy whose comedy album, A Moment in Time, rocketed up the iTunes charts this week. Congratulations on that, Mr. Christian Spicer. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah, people seem to like it. It is out there. Check it out. Hopefully you will enjoy it, too. There's video game stuff on there, but Mr. Kanata. Yes, sir. Mr. Kanata. That's me. This is, this is, this is week two of our develop, developer diaries. Great show. Yeah. And it's also a week... A week leading up into here we frickin' go in terms of video game time. You know what I mean? We are ramping up to take off. Yeah, it's going to be a big week. Next week's episode is going to be chock full of news, I'm sure. What with uh, GDC and uh, PAX East all being jam-packed together with tons of stuff. But there's already news leaking the first day of, of GDC starting today. Lots of news to talk about. And you're right. We have – last week we had developers on – this week we got an awesome developer guest. Next week we're going to have a developer guest. So we're doing a, we're doing a whole sort of package deal and we're excited. You know, DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week we are excited because DLC stands for directing the legacy for the chief because <laughs> we've got the creative director for 343 Industries who is currently working on Halo 5, Mr. Tim Longo. Welcome, hey. Tim. Hey, hey everybody. Good to be here. Super excited, super flattered and honored. Love these guys. So I'm uh, happy I'm on. Yeah, it's been a long time coming. We've been trying to have you for a while and uh, so excited to have you on, especially with uh, our sort of preview of GDC week. It's great to have a developer's eye on some of the news and stuff that's coming out, uh, particularly with some of the late breaking stuff that we're going to get to in a second. But um, I just wanted to talk about you for a second. You uh, have had a long career in the industry. You worked at LucasArts and Crystal Dynamics. How did you get into game design? Uh, so I kind of, the way I got into it was <clears throat> not your typical way anymore, really. It was 96. So it was a little bit back in the day. Um and I literally started in QA. That was my first job in quality assurance. So um, kind of tested games like uh, Dark Forces on PlayStation 1, like way back then, um, Jedi Knight, stuff like that. And then I went through um, and kind of worked my way up through that into level design. Did some level design and some game design, moved up to um, creator direction um, for Republic Commando, that was the first one. I did. I was lead designer on the Starfighter product on uh, for PlayStation Two. I don't know if you guys remember those or not. Oh, yeah. Um, um, fun stuff back in the days where the teams were small and the projects were simpler, um, but uh, <laughs> still working hard. And uh, and then um, after I was at Lucas, the first first round for about um, almost nine years, and then I went took a year off. 
um, was a wilderness ranger for a year, just kind of rebooting and uh, wow. getting, out, getting out into the woods. Um, crazy experience at LucasArts. And then uh, a friend of mine grabbed me back in and I went to Crystal Dynamics and uh, was employee number two on the Tomb Raider reboot um, and was creative director on that and then moved into franchise direction. Um, and then Noah Hughes took over for that. And I went back to LucasArts for two years Disney came in and then shut the whole thing down, which was super awesome. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I went to uh, three four three after that, and I've been here almost two years. And you know, one of the guys that we had on last week said that he got his start in uh, QA as well. Do you think that's still a viable pathway nowadays, or do you think that's sort of of a bygone era to be able to work your way up like that? I I have to say it's it's probably sorry for all the QA guys out there these days, but. It is a bit of a bygone thing, I think. Um, the companies were smaller, teams were smaller. I think there's awesome people in QA for sure, and they definitely, when you're in QA, you learn um, a lot about the, the the design of the game, and, and you end up having to give a lot of feedback that, that ends up being critical to any product shipping for sure. But I think that these days with so many schools having, um, um, you know, having great programs, across the country, which wasn't the case in, back in those days. Um, there really wasn't one right way to do it then. And there really isn't now, I guess, one right way, but it's just there's so much, so many other ways, and there's, we have students coming in from school now that are so educated on how to make games beyond my wildest dreams and way better than I was back then. And some of them, are, you know, many of them are probably better than I am now even. Um, and so it's really intimidating to have these people coming in with, with great education. So... QA can still happen. I think it's a lot rarer though these days. Yeah. Yeah. And the tools are out there to be able to just sort of make things now. And everybody is able to, I mean, one of the big stories we'll talk about this episode is, is how easy some of these tools are to get your hands on and, and really start making things instead of having to test them first. <laughs> yeah. The opportunity these days, the ways that you can just yeah, get into the industry, um, even on your own is night and day from back then. Um, you know, yeah. again, 90 in 96, you had to kind of work for a company to really be able to make games. And I, I lucked into a job, you know, in QA at LucasArts, but um, there really wasn't, there weren't many opportunities to do that. And, and these days you can even, you know, you can get your stuff on the app store if you, if you want to. And yeah, there's a lot of noise up there, but you can kind of do a lot of it with really small teams. And um, there's part of me that's really envious of those small teams these days. because our, our teams that I've been working with are just a few yeah, well, which of course brings us to Halo 5. And I know you can't probably tell us much about it. I'm sure you guys are going to have a big E3 this year. But, um, you know, with the the sort of turbulent release of Master Chief Collection, how's Halo 5 doing? Are you guys, uh, you know, enduring that storm? Uh, what, what's what's the situation? Yeah, we're, we, yeah, I mean, we're just kind of full steam ahead. We're, we're heads down. You know, we had a great beta. Um, we learned a lot from the beta, both from, the backend services side, as well as from our gameplay side. Uh, it was the earliest beta that um, Halo's done before, so we wanted to kind of make sure we had enough time to react to feedback. Uh, so that's why we did it so, so early. Um, and uh, yeah, it was actually it was, it was successful for us. We got a lot of good feedback um, from the pro community and from um, everyone that played, and we, we learned a lot about the backend stuff to help with, um, with their matchmaking. And so really just kind of you know heads down that's why none of us are really going to gdc gdc this week uh we're really kind of in the thick of it right now but um 
the game's in great shape. We're we're every week great progress, and things are things are really you know coming together. So, awesome. I think I'm, I think the two questions though everyone wants to know is you seem to have a penchant for taking on beloved franchises. Let's see what you've worked on: Star Wars, Tomb Raider reboot, now Halo Five. Uh, which project <laughs> and how often does Queens Under Pressure start for you as soon as you learn <laughs> Under Pressure? And then uh, the second the second question you might not be able to answer is when does the Halo Master Chief Collection beta end and the the, the multiplayer comes out? <laughs> oh Super. yeah, I'm kidding. Good, I'm kidding. Good one. Yeah, that's good. Um, it, yeah, I don't know why I put myself through this sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely a lot of pressure. Um, I think you know. I think about this a lot, actually. It's, it's, it's a good question for me because I really, like, I think I'm such a fanboy myself and I'm so excited about just so many franchises and properties. I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm a huge Metal Gear fan. Like, and, and I don't know if it's that I don't have an original thought in my body or, or what, but I just love jumping in and I feel like I'm honored to be able to, like, to work on Star Wars and the work I worked on Indiana Jones game, worked on you know, um, Tomb Raider reboot was dream come true. It just, it, I still remember the first day I booted up Tomb Raider on my PC back in the old days on my, uh, you know, Voodoo Extreme card or whatever the hell it was. And yeah. yeah. And blew my mind, you know, running through fighting T Rexes and bears and, and to, I'm just always so like flattered to be able to work on these things. And Halo is no different for sure. Um, the fans are just so rabid. And I feel like um, being a fan is, kind of an important part of um, working on these big franchises, you know, because I, I didn't obviously create them, but I, I'm, I'm super honored to contribute to them at least. Uh, but yeah, the pressure's heavy, especially with Halo. I mean, there's just so many, so many things that people want in a Halo game and, and it's hard to, it's hard to evolve it, but um, we're, we really want to strike that balance. You know, that's, we want it to feel like Halo, but we want to have some new stuff in there too. Yeah, I mean, I feel like sometimes, and and not trying to make light of the the creative effort that goes into actually creating these characters or franchises, but sometimes creating the characters and franchises almost seems easier versus continuing them. You know, other examples in film, like J.J. coming in and rebooting Star Trek, and you have this legacy of awesome, and everyone knows what Star Trek is, and it's like, here you go, have fun with this, or, you know, Halo. Everyone has what Halo means to them, whether it's you know, not aiming down the sights or whether it's a slower movement or it's the enemy AI or plasma grenades, like someone's definition of Halo is one thing and there's this legacy and now it's, here you go, make something new, but ooh, good luck. Q queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a big challenge and, and that is, you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it, it is so many things to so many different people and um, there's no way that we can, you know, kind of keep track of all the different things that people are passionate about it. But, um, but, you know, I think one of the th- reasons that I wanted to go to 343 after meeting the team, um, it's an amazing group of people. And there are so many fans that are working on the game. Like there's a certain amount of faith that I have in them too, that, you know, that we, we keep the ship going in the right direction because they, they all, they all came you know, some of them are, are young enough to even, you know, grown up on playing Halo when they were teenagers and stuff. And, um, I really, I really lean on them quite a bit. Um, I noticed David Ellis, I think is in the chat. Um, I believe it is the David Ellis and, uh, he's on the team, uh, ex-journalist and, yeah. 
Our buddy. You know, he's, he's a good example of somebody who you know, lo- knows the franchise well, passionate about it, but understands that we kind of, you know, to keep it fresh, we got to do some new things occasionally too. So that balance is super intimidating. Yeah. And Ellis, if you're listening, you got to come on the show, buddy. We need you. We need you as a guest. Get that voice back on a podcast. Um, yeah, but we're excited to see uh, Halo Five at E3. I'm sure it'll be a big year for that. So um, we'll keep our eyes peeled, and hopefully, we'll have you back to talk more when we when we know more. Uh, but right now, we got to start the show the way we normally do with Story of the Week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week, of course, the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of gaming this week. You can submit stories by using our hashtag on Twitter. That's uh, DLCSOTW or by visiting our subreddit over at 5 by 5 dlc.reddit.com. We've got a lot of submissions this week. Uh, Tim, as our guest, you get first pick some really cool late breaking stuff even. And uh, I'm curious what your story of the week is. Mine is definitely the Unreal News. Um, I was looking over the uh, Google Doc this morning, and then that one kind of popped up once you once you refreshed it. I was going to definitely mention the, the Valve thing, but I think um, we were just talking about it before with sort of the opportunity of for people to get into games and, and just, just dabble in it, even if it's a, a hobby at first. And having something as powerful as on the unreal engine which i've used in the past um free for everybody i'm i'm kind of surprised unity didn't beat them to it and maybe that was part of their play was that they wanted to beat unity because it feels like a play that they should have had first um uh but i think that is a, is a bit of a game changer i have some good friends there um and uh and they you know they definitely want to switch things up and and uh do unexpected things like that. And uh, even the subscription model before was, you know, pretty unexpected, but I'm pretty impressed that they, uh, that they are, they are willing to do this. Yeah. What you're referring to is the fact that we got this announcement that unreal engine four, the, the newest version of unreal engine, uh, which previously had been pretty reasonably priced. It was like what, 30 bucks a month, uh, something like that for uh, ongoing to be able to develop a game using unreal four. Now, no subscription whatsoever. It is completely free. The only payment that you'll make is a 5% royalty on gross revenue of your game after you've made $3,000. So that's, I think, a pretty crazy way to deliver that level of technology to everybody. And they're actually even going farther than that. They're giving um, prorated refunds to current subscribers. So mm-hmm. uh, some people are getting a little bit of money back. Some people are getting credit uh, that can be used in the Unreal Engine marketplace. I think this is a huge goodwill move just for people that have already invested in it. And I think it's going to open it up to so many more developers. This is really, really cool. And as you brought up, Tim, I think it is a direct result of the fact that Unity has gotten so popular and is so accessible to so many people. Uh, I think they really want to make Unreal Engine fit that role and be the the first choice for developers. Um, I think it's amazing. Uh, Christian, what's your take? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy and awesome. Uh, it seems like, I don't know if there's hidden, hidden, hidden fine print, or, I mean, it seems like this is only good news and it seems like they're going after the, you know, a, 
a little bit of money from everyone is better than more money from a few people. And they're trying to, instead of find their niche in the market, they're trying to be the market. And if everybody's paying you 5% over 3K, you know, it, it, it's, whew, man, it's, it's, it's insane. I don't know how many people will switch if they're, you know, familiar with Unity or whatever, how exciting it is for them to really dive into Unreal. But it seems like a pretty awesome thing. And Unity has to follow suit, right? I would guess. You think it put pressure on them, certainly. Yeah. Tim, as a, as a developer, can you speak to what the decision process is to use uh, one engine over another? What, what, what goes into that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's heavily dependent upon the project for, for me in the past, at least it has been, um, it has a lot to do with what tools you have available in, inside your studio to begin with. For instance, in LucasArts in the old days, um, we chose to go with, with, uh, the Unreal Engine for Republic Commando. And, um, it was mainly because there wasn't really a great option in the studio at the time, um, that, that was good for shooters. We had a lot of other engines in the, in the studio, but. Um, but, uh, not one that really fit the bill there. And it was a little bit of a controversy when we decided to do that because LucasArts wanted proprietary engines pretty much exclusively. So we kind of decided to license at the time and it was the best decision, um, by far that we ever made. We were able to be, just be up and running immediately. People, you know, people could, um, some of the people already knew the engine at the time. So, um, there's a lot of, a lot of things that go into it. Sometimes though, you know, the, the trick of it is that you, um, I think for for bigger publishers, you know, you you become uh, too attached to, or you know, kind of attached to the engine that you develop a game with. And so, if you do make a deal with um, Unreal or, or or any engine like that, you know, for the foreseeable future, your games are going to be beholden to them. And I think some some of the you know some groups don't want to do that. They want to own and kind of be in control over everything. So that. You kind of have to weigh the kind of accessibility and the and the usefulness of the engine and, and speed of it and that support that, that a company like Unreal puts into their engine versus that control that you lose over your code base and um and and the tools themselves and and you know you're kind of again you're kind of um beholden to them at that point which you know is part of what Epic wants but also um there <laughs> I try to always think of a good analogy for this but it's like we. And this is probably not a great one, but um, but we wouldn't build a house. And I'm, I'm have a, a lot of a lot of uh, uh, conflicting thoughts on this whole topic myself, having worked in both license and proprietary engines. But we wouldn't build a house and make our own hammer or our own saw before we make right. the house. You know, um, we buy those things, and the, and and it's just become a norm that there's ways to to kind of build build that uh, build that house without having to reinvent the wheel every time and I think that that's super valuable um, for me it's just it's about the game and the content and happiness of the team and, um, and I think if you can get your proprietary engine there great and um, but if you can't then you know um, maybe you know maybe that uh, middleman is a good idea yeah I've always been of the position as someone who's never done this. So I'm definitely outside looking in, but it, it seems to me that having these tools be so readily available and so good and um, so accessible, I think it, it moves the needle along the line of uh, moving away from needing to be a technical person to being an artist. And I think that, you know, so much of game design's history in the last 30 years has been, you know, coming out of being a programmer and being a technical 
designer and mm-hmm. then you know, having these tools kind of remove that skill set or at least sort of offload that skill set to, to, to somebody else allows people who don't necessarily have those skills, but have the artistic vision and, and want to create interactive entertainment from a completely different standpoint, uh, allows them access to, to the medium. And I, I find that incredibly exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I mean, the other, the other silly example or, or analogy that I'd make is, you know, when I remember, um, you know, dating myself a bit when, when, um, camcorders started getting big, uh, and, you know, people started buying them and, and it was, it was that sort of, again, that it was accessible to everybody. Middleman was just go to the, you know, go to Best Buy or whatever the, you know, good guys back in the, back in the day, right. and buy, <laughs> right. buy, buy a little camcorder and you can make your own movie, you know, and then YouTube comes along and now you have a place to publish it. And, you know, you get, if you can get through the noise and rise above, then, then you get the word out there. But I, I didn't, you know, you didn't have to, you didn't have to have some crazy setup to make a, to make a home, home movie. Um, I think that was a game changer, obviously for, for indie films too. Yeah, for sure. Very cool. Uh, Christian, what is your uh, story of the week pick? Uh, I'm so happy. I'm before you this week. Because... You're going to steal mine? <laughs> well, <laughs> it might not be your story, but you'll definitely mention it. If I don't, um, it's a teensy bit premature, maybe, because Valve hasn't had their whole full hubbubaloo about it. Um, but their VR headset, Vive, Viva, Vive, I'm, I'm thinking it's Vive. I did not um, watch the video for pronunciation. Um, but it's uh, the hardware manufacturer is HTC, and it's running the Valve, uh, what do they call it? It's the Valve VR Experience or something yeah. like that. Um, and so we had it rumored that it was going to come out and then someone leaked, <laughs> which I think is the, the best slash silliest leak. There was the leak of the silhouette <laughs> of what the VR headset would look like. It looked like a it looks VR like headset. A headset. <laughs> it looks like a headset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and sure enough, though, that was accurate. And man, I, um, exciting times, right? Because Valve has, yes, they have a heavy tech department. They're going to do a controller and steam box and you know, we talked about um, our last year recap show, how that was the biggest story of last year to become a non-story. And now it looks like, you know, for a time Valve pulled off and said, hey, we're, you know, we're doing cool things with the Oculus. We really like this. And they were, you know, they allowed their game, not allowed, but um, they had tools and assets for their games to be set up in Oculus easier than others. And then now it's back, the throttles back the other way. And here we go with our own thing. And it's going to come out this year. So, I mean, the VR race is on. They're all in their virtual cars racing to virtual reality. It's crazy. That's, that's the biggest point, I think, of this whole announcement for me is holiday 2015, buy it. Uh, yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head with calling it a race. It, as of right now, I believe the first one of these that gets to market has a huge advantage because there's so much excitement around this right now. I think people are going to clamor to the first one that they can buy. And I think putting a flag in the ground and saying holiday 2015, I think that means Oculus and HoloLens and, you know, all the, and, um, Project Morpheus. I think that puts the pressure on them to be out this calendar year. I hope that doesn't hurt things. I hope it's not premature. I hope this technology really is ready for prime time. Um, it certainly sounds like they've got the technical specs on the Vive uh, up to snuff. Two dual 1080p displays at a refresh rate of 90 frames per second. Uh, full 360 degree encompassing view. They've got 
gyro sensors and accelerometers. And in fact, they made a big point to differentiate their VR as a get up and walk around your room kind of experience with this steam VR base station thing, which is going to help create much more of a holodeck Star Trek type experience. At least that's their promise. Uh, we haven't seen it in action. Hopefully this week at, at GDC, we'll give more uh, first person hands-on reports of the tech, but um, and Tim, controller. I'm so curious. There's interesting. Yeah. And I they'll think. have, yeah, two controllers, I guess that are all are going to, you know, be meant to carry it around in your room. Although it does look like it's wired, not wireless, right? At least in the pictures. Um, oh, Tim, I'm the- so Sorry, what's the controller stuff? I I, I missed that. I'm kind of looking over the article now. So HTC is making a... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Christian. Oh, no. So they have... It's two controllers that, you know, give you some tactile response, but also use um, hand tracking. So you actually Uh, can see your hands in space, you know, represented within your field of vision, eliminating... um, Like, Oculus is great, but if you're holding your controllers, that weird disconnect mm -hmm. where you look down and don't see it. And so they're solving the problem or trying to solve the problem in a different way than Microsoft and the, the HoloLens is where you actually see your hands. This is they're <coughs> integrating a virtual your hands into that space. Which I think yeah. is what will happen with Morpheus, right? The the entire design of the PS4 controller was meant to be married with a camera so that if you hold the controller, it knows where your controller is. Um, I, I don't know. Th- there hasn't been any image of what these controllers look like. They say they're meant to be so versatile. They will work with a r- wide range of VR experiences. So we don't know if they'll look like a typical video game controller or something more along the lines of, of like, you know, move or, uh, the Wii controller or, or something even different than that. Um, but yeah, I think it, it all combines to create what they hope to be a get up on your feet and walk around your room type of an experience. Uh, which, you know, leads many people to throw up in these kinds of devices. So there's <laughs> that problem to, to be eliminated. But, um, I'm so curious, Tim, what, what your take on VR in general is. And if you have any worry about there being so many of these different devices now that we may, you know, there may be, a, a compatibility problem or, you know, pick which one. Obviously you guys would be working with HoloLens primarily, but you know, what for in general for developers? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a bit of a VR skeptic, um, uh, kind of not necessarily, I I guess it's just more, I'm not an early adopter generally of stuff like this. So I've had the Oculus on once, um, before, and I think it was not the most recent version, but the version before that. And I, I don't know if it's just me, but I, I definitely was instantly nauseous and was nauseous for, (laughs) for a while afterwards. So I kind of got a little bummed about that. I'm really like, you know, listening to you talk about it, Jeff, and how excited you are about the potential of it. I'm, I'm with you on that and the potential and sort of the future, the futurist side of me, um, is super excited. I'm pretty surprised that they announced that it's coming out this year. Uh, I, that's a bit of a kind of coming out of left field, if you ask me. Um, and, and that's cool. And I think first to market is definitely going to going to be a big deal um i don't i was trying to look in the chat someone mentioned it either face bob or dc19 was saying that um that i agree with him for me it's all about killer app though uh just the device alone i think for me just consoles any platform really it's about the experience of the game that i want to play so until like i see something that is an actual um you know playable game that i'd want to play i probably wouldn't wouldn't jump in and then even then i wouldn't early adopt this stuff 
I don't know. Well, as far as like, it, it seems to me like Halo Five would be a killer app for Hololens, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good idea, Jeff. That's a really interesting notion that you. I'm surprised I'm the with. first person to think of that. Uh, <laughs> I'll pass that along to all of the people that I work with. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just you know I. It, it, it's yeah. What's the killer app? I, it's interesting that there are going to be so many of these out there, though. I really, I have a hard time predicting how this is all going to play out. Price point, as you guys talk a lot about, um, is going to be, I think, a pretty big deal. Um, yeah, and with PCs this one, that can you know, and then the room thing, I think, is actually a neat thing. Sorry to interrupt the. No, uh, no, I interrupted the you. the stuff that they're talking about with turning the fifteen by fifteen room into part of that. That's also cool, but I mean, who's going to be able to to do that anytime soon? Well, now I have to build a room onto my house that's, you know, that just has uh, a grid painted on all five, you know, six yeah. walls, whatever. Um, yes, I, I think that it's particularly this model is going to be interesting to see what the price point is because it's got all this other stuff. It's got the base station. It's got the controllers. It's got, you know, it's like, well, now we're into a whole different stratosphere of, of just stuff that we need to own. Um, but I, as much as I'm excited about these technologies, I'm getting a little worried as we see company after company jumping into this place yeah. and all of them are different in some way. So it's not like we're going to, you know, it's not like different PC manufacturers and, you know, you're going to have one that you can develop one game for and it'll work on anything. It feels like all of them are different enough that they'll need software specifically designed for them, uh, which is worrisome to me because I don't, I don't want, I would be really sad if this stuff hits a speed bump because people don't know which one to buy or because a game comes out on the wrong one or, or whatever, you know, that yep. would be rough. Yep. So Christian, what, in, what do you think? Entering crazy Christian prediction time. I think, <laughs> I think Oculus will be the one ring to rule them all. I think that Facebook money, unless Mark, Mark, well, I'm on a first name basis with him. We've met never, um, was disingenuous with the comments he made. I think that they are going to, make this thing a success the way that, you know, large companies can when they create something the way when the Xbox one came out and it's Microsoft's console, right? It's not Sega doing another console. It's Microsoft doing a console. This thing's going to be a success. And I don't, Valve is a super successful company too, but I feel like in their hardware dreams, wishes, and desires, they're a little more uh, ooh, shiny light. And then, you know, jump over here, jump over there, do this, do that, do that. And they have their one bread and butter that keeps making them money, obviously, their platform. I, but I don't see them doubling down and really committing to this hardware standard, much the way I feel like they did with the Steam boxes, right? It was like, we're going to do this thing. And then a company came out and said, hey, these are these are them. They can do it. And Valve was like, well, that's not ours. I mean, we're distancing ourselves from that one. There's a hundred of them. And you're like, wait, what are you doing? You're ruining your own market, it felt like. And I think that will ultimately hurt them in this VR space as well. It's going to be very, very interesting 12 months. I think uh, this time next year, you know, we're at the end of February, beginning of March. It's going to be a completely different landscape because at least one of these things is going to be on the market. I'd be shocked, shocked if the Vive is the only one that hits holiday 2015. I think holiday 2015 is going to be the holiday of VR in a lot of ways, um, mm, which it, means it'll be that interesting. 
that Jeff come March 2016, everybody needs to come to the relaunched Double Jump Live show we do in Los Angeles because Jeff's going to be giving away all of his old <laughs> VR headsets. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm so excited about this. I think we're going to get a lot of this week. Mark my words. We're going to get a lot of enthusiasm coming out of GDC because people are going to put these on and they're going to, I think it's going to be really, really great. I think we're at the point now where seeing is believing and, uh, you know, having these really high def, low latency, uh, displays in them and, and having head tracking, all that stuff. It's just, we're there, we're there. And, um, it's just going to be, is it going to, am I going to be in the poor house come Christmas <laughs> because I'm buying three of these stupid things? So last anyway. question before we, your story. Um, if you had to pick one right now, you can only buy one. Which one do you pick? Morpheus, HoloLens, Oculus, or Vive? Well, I think the easy answer, the the sort of cop-out answer is Oculus just because it's been in the wild, right? And there's so much software for it right now. There's people developing stuff on it now. Whereas Vive, you know, we get developer kit spring. Um, So there's nothing to do with it yet. I am really, really excited about the the hololens i think the hololens is so different from the the rest and i think the idea of pure wireless experience no well i'm hoping i haven't tried them on yet but i'm hoping pure backpack wireless experience <laughs> i'm hoping that there's there is a lot less nausea i hope that because i'm able to look through them into my environment a lot of the problem that tim was talking about about <laughs> getting nauseated it would be a would be eliminated um so, so, you know, I'm intrigued by that. And I think that's a, a very different kind of experience too. And, and all of the sort of non-gaming applications of that tech that we've already seen got me excited too. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Um, before I get to my story, we do need to thank our sponsor, Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com is a fantastic way to learn new skills. Linda is like an online classroom, except not boring like classrooms. It's the time you spend in Linda is informative. It's fun. It's interesting. Content is delivered to you in really clear, concise ways. It's not like just browsing YouTube and finding a video to try to teach you how to do something in Photoshop that you want to learn. And, oh, crap, this is a a version of Photoshop that's way old and this video is way old and this guy doesn't even know how to communicate his ideas and I got to wait three minutes into the video before he even gets to my point. No, no, no. Linda is professionally made experts on the topics. They have over 3000 courses, all kinds of topics, web development, photography, visual design, business, and software training, Excel, WordPress, Photoshop. I already mentioned they even have video game design courses, which is super cool. It's exactly what we've been talking about this episode. If you want to learn unity, they have courses for unity. They have programming for kids. If you have kids or you are a young person and you want to learn how to get into this field, programming for kids, they have foundations of programming, a whole course section on Linda that's made for that. They also have this cool thing called code clinic, which is this series where they issue, uh, challenges code challenges every uh i guess it's every month and all the authors share their versions of how to solve that challenge in all kinds of different programming languages so you can compare different approaches across it's really really cool 
We're going to give you a 10-day free trial for Lynda. All you have to do is go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash D-L-C. And you can get access to every single course on Lynda for 10 days. So you can try it out, learn something new, get hooked, which is what's going to happen because it's really, really cool. All the tutorials uh, you can view on your PC, but also they have availability on tablets, on your iPhone or Android mobile devices. And there's new courses every week. Things are updated. You always are ensured that you're watching the newest version of the software that you want to learn or the programming language. It's great. L-Y-N-D-A dot com, lynda.com slash DLC. Got to put that DLC at the back so that they know that you heard about it here and they want to sponsor our show. We appreciate that. Get your 10-day free trial. Check it out. Lynda.com slash DLC. Well, guys, my story of the week would have definitely been Vive uh, had not Christian swooped in and stole <laughs> it. Uh, well done. Um, I am intrigued by this uh, other sort of late-breaking story that was submitted by at Stephen Kelso on Twitter um, about World of Warcraft introducing a new economy. Uh, some other MMOs have done this, but this is the big boy, the big dog on the block trying it now. Uh, they're literally going to allow you to purchase game time for money, real money, as you normally do, your monthly subscription, and then sell that game time in the game for in-game gold as a way to buy gold for money. But the flip side of that is also that you can buy game subscription time with in-game gold. So if you're one of those people that just wants to play and uh, you play enough that you can earn a lot of money in the game, you don't have to spend real world dollars to play. You can earn enough gold, buy it on the auction house, and then apply that to your subscription. Um, I think this is pretty cool. And the details, uh, they had, they, Blizzard released a big gigantic Q&A uh, on their website talking about the details of how this is going to be implemented. It seems pretty smart the way they've managed to create a system that um, will be hard to game. Uh, and, you know, you can only sell game time once. Uh, it, it is not the it is market driven. There's a fluctuating market of how much gold it's going to cost, but it's not something that the users directly influence. It's created by an algorithm in the game based on your realm and the demand, the supply and demand of your realm. Uh, so it's not something that uh, the, the players themselves can overtly manipulate. I'm hopeful that it's a way to play WoW for free if you play it long enough. Uh, Tim, I know you're a WoW player. What's what's your feeling about this? Yeah, this is this is I'm reading the thing now. I'm, I totally miss this one on the list. This is super interesting to me. Um, I, I don't play. I think my hours of wow time have gone down enough to where this might not apply to me anymore. But I, I'm super intrigued by by this concept. I'm glad they're going with it. Um, it doesn't seem as crazy as the Diablo real money auction house stuff they were doing. I'm kind of reading over the details here on the fly. Um, but uh, they have so their install base is so crazy with the number of subscriptions they have that I think this this is an a good experiment for them to try. If it, if I can find a way to make it work for me as a player, I will definitely, definitely look into it. Yeah. Christian, what's your take on, um, gold for money, money for gold or time for gold, I should say. Not being a wild WoW player. It seems interesting. And it seems like they are really getting creative 
in terms of how to keep this game interesting. I, I mean, Jeff, to you, is this is this a game changer? Is it uh, the next big thing, or is it this is the bottom of the barrel? Like, ooh, <laughs> they go in and like Mark from marketing is just like, ah, yeah, money, ah, <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know, you know, if they're just really, really mining the 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 leftovers to make this thing fresh and interesting. But it seems like it could be cool, right? Yeah, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it's an act of desperation at any, in any sense. Um, I, I think it's an interesting, it, you know, at least their messaging around it is that it's coming out of a desire to eliminate the sort of third party shady, you know, gold for money, uh, ways that people have been using since WoW started to, uh, you know, the gold farmers, uh, to sort of get around having to farm gold yourself. Uh, this is a way to farm gold, but I, but I like the fact that theoretically, and, and we'll see how it is implemented and how much gold it's actually going to cost. Uh, if it's really out of reach for most casual players, I think that it misses the point. But if there is a way to play the game and have your in-game uh, exploits pay for your subscription, I think that's pretty cool. And it might make me, you know, play longer than I would if I was looking at a, you know, $15 bill every month. If it's like, well, I can get around, I can play another month by cashing in all my in-game gold. Then why not? Um, I think that's, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's a, that's, yeah, maybe I'm not understanding. That's, that's a good point. Um, Jeff, that it's, if I'm understanding the economics of it, it is a little weird that it's focused on the amount of time you play because you kind of want this for the more casual players who the, the free to play model, at least for, you know, that don't have to worry about the subscription model and worrying that they're wasting their money because they don't play enough in a given month. Maybe I'm misunderstanding how this works though. Um, isn't it kind of more for the people that spend more time in the game and play a lot more, which probably are so devoted to the game that they're okay with the subscription model. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think you're right on the money there. I think that it, that it, it is a little backwards in a sense because uh, if you have if you have the amount of commitment to play the game to get enough gold to be able to do this every month you're probably already putting in enough hours to justify your expense but there you know there may be the kind of thing where that's just another carrot on a stick that keeps people Mm -hmm. in the game it's like hey i you know if i keep if i grind some more gold i won't have to pay this month um so i don't know I don't know. Yeah, it'll, like, it'll be seen. It'll be which is my least favorite thing to do, but yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like right. Pastor M. Titus in the chat. So you either play slash work wow enough to pay your subscriptions instead of working in the real world to pay for your subscriptions. <laughs> Thus, now you need a sugar mommy or daddy to stay alive while playing wow. <laughs> <laughs> and the circle is complete. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to mention a couple of other uh, news items that happened this week. Uh, Fable Legends went free to play. We already got the announcement that it's going to be a Windows 10 release as well as Xbox One. So uh, it'll be one of the first games that's going to be cross-platform on on Windows 10 and on uh, Xbox One. But it's also uh, going to be free to play. And we actually have uh, the... Um, director of the game, uh, uh, David Eckleberry coming on the show next week. So we'll talk to him more about that, but I wanted to bring it up. Um, free to play on consoles. Uh, we've seen a little bit of that DCUO on PS4 and, and some other games, but, um, Tim, what's your take on the free to play model in general as a, as a sort of old school game designer? Um, 
I didn't mean to frame it that way. Yeah. Maybe that uh-huh, was insulting. I, see, I hope I not. See. Yeah, I get <laughs> you're, it. I get you're it. old like me. How, how uh-huh. do you feel about yeah, it? Yeah, it's good. Thanks, Joe. Um, <laughs> no, I I am really uh, I am so mixed. I've been mixed from the beginning on the whole free to play thing. I under I think being obviously behind the scenes, I understand the conversations that go on about and the debates and such. And um, my my worry and the reason I always get so mixed on it is that um, anytime I've had any exposure to I guess the game design side of it or, or like how you would build a product, it seems like it's so focused on you have to actually change your design to accommodate the um, the free-to-play economics of it. And maybe because I'm old school, maybe because I'm an old dude, uh, I, I have certain things, I guess, that I think about um, when it comes to game design. And, and it's hard to crack me out of that old mold, I guess, to, to make different decisions about it that, you know, I'm, I'm about experiences and I'm about making the game fun for people to play. Um, and yes, I have to think about economics as well, but anytime the economics comes in and really kind of overtly changes the way that I have to think about making the game or, or helping direct the team to make the game, it, it does weird me out a little bit. Um, there's some, there's some that do it better than others. I have always, um, I guess at least academically really appreciated valves, um, valves approach because it tends to be cosmetics and things that doesn't necessarily change the balance of the game and such. Um, you know, one could argue they can afford to do that maybe because they have their own, um, you know, monetization through steam and stuff like that. Uh, so I, am always mixed on it. I just, uh, I just get really weary when it, when it, um, impacts the game, um, design itself. Um, my, I've had a couple conversations with David though. He's a great guy, by the way. Um, um, awesome. He's coming back on. Uh, and I, I do think that they're trying to avoid some of those pitfalls that some of the, you know, the free to play kind of juggernauts out there have really, um, give it a bad name. I think, uh, this particular one, they're, they're doing some interesting things though. Yeah. In the announcement video, they, uh, I really thought it was very cool. He made three, what they're calling their three commitments. Uh, there's going to be open, fair, and generous, which I think is, is pretty cool. At mm-hmm. least a great way to, to frame it. Um, open being that, um, you have access to the entire game for free. There's nothing limited. There's nothing, uh, behind a paywall, at least, uh, for the play experience. And then fair, they described as being, as you were talking about, Tim, uh, nothing that you pay for with real money affects gameplay. And it's not pay to win in any sense. It's all, um, you know, buying access to other characters. It's very similar to actually how Heroes of the Storm is, is doing it. Access to other characters or access to com- cosmetic items. And then the third thing is to be generous, which they left a little nebulous, but it's basically the idea of, uh, trying to engender a, a strong community by giving a lot of things to the community for free. So uh, at least their messaging sounds uh, encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what's your take, Christian? I think this is a, a, a great move. I mean, I think it's a game that, you know, maybe doesn't carry the Fable name so strongly forward. It's not, oh, yeah, this is Fable 5 or, you know, whatever. And um, so there's, I think there's a little confusion about that when it was released. But I remember when it was announced, I'm sorry. I remember being pretty excited about it when it was announced. I think it's cool and fun. And it kind of, in my head, was running into a similar problem that Evolve runs into for me, where this game is best with friends. And, mm. you know, people are complaining, oh, is should Evolve be $60? You know, that whole discussion. And what is this game? And so it, for people to be upset for this game going free to play, it seems like 
you know, a rock and a hard place. Evolve shouldn't be 60 bucks and this game is free and like, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be crap. And it, free to play games, I think rightfully still are looked at with a, a skeptical eye, right? We, we keep an eye on them and we're like, oh, we're a little uneasy. But at what point does that track record switch where you have games like Hearthstone, Heroes of the Storm, um, a League of Legends, Dota, where these are free-to-play games that are mostly doing very right by their communities. And wouldn't it be awesome if that if games that support that style of gameplay and that still make their creators and developers money are able to come to the console space in a big way? I mean, that sounds like it's a win for everybody. And if Fable Legends comes out cross-play, free-to-play, gets a big user base and people know and love this game, then all of a sudden I'm really interested in diving into this game versus do I want to spend 60 bucks and not be able to set up a playtime with you and, and Garnet or whomever, right? And be like, eh, I don't know who's going to be playing this game. I don't know how this is a bad thing, assuming what they said, you know, where they're going to charge for characters is accurate. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think all that any kind of negativity comes from what Tim was talking about, about, you know, the, the abuse that we've seen of the economic model where... um everything's behind a paywall it's oh you have to stop playing now or pay five bucks or whatever it is a lot of that stuff in the mobile space specifically but uh yeah i I think these three commitments are pretty interesting way to do it and maybe that's a a template going forward that that um can take hold in more games Uh, we'll certainly talk to david about that next week when he's on the show i just wanted to bring it up because it's a it's pretty big news i think and certainly we'll it's a game that i had a great time playing at e3 last year so i'm excited to see how far it's come in, in the the year following um, another from the file of, uh, exciting news for, for old gamers like me is, uh, <laughs> it looks like Toe Jam and Earl is back. Uh, Greg Johnson, one of the original creators of, of the first Toe Jam and Earl and, and its sequels, uh, is, has launched a Kickstarter to create a new version of Toe Jam and Earl. Uh, Tim, were you, were you a Toe Jam and Earl guy on the Genesis? Uh, I actually was not. I saw this news news item and I thought maybe you guys would bring it up, but no, I kind of missed that one. I don't know why. Uh, no? It just didn't uh, didn't hit me. I know there's a lot of love for it though. Christian, did, did, were you a Toe Jam and Earl guy? I loved it. I don't know yeah. why. I I went back to it. <laughs> I played two and three, and uh, I don't know. I went back to one on uh, my Retron, so not on a Genesis, but you know, kind of similar, and um. I don't know. I think it was right place, right time. I just pulled it up right now. The Kickstarter, it's called Toe Jam and Earl Back in the Groove. I am neither saying you should or should not support it, but I am saying it has currently $197,212 pledged of their $400,000 goal, uh, 24 days to go. I, I don't know. I mean, cool art be- style, right? Check out the, the art style. No, the, I, the art style looks great. I think what they're doing with the game in terms of trying to make it Toe Jam and early one, they say they're mixing the best elements of one and two, seems admirable for those fans. Have you, I can tell already that you were a fan of the game. Have you revisited it or do you know why you liked it? Because I don't know. I think it was just like young and I was it like, was so these different. dudes don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was so, it was just so different than anything else out there at the time. It was, it was his own bizarre, weird universe, bizarre, weird gameplay even mechanics like i remember that all the sequels were were very much more conventional 2d platformers but the first one which is what this one is kind of trying to be the successor of was this weird isometric gameplay that was very roguelike and strange and uh yeah it was just so different and and nobody else was doing that 
Um, so, you know, I would love to see this funded and, and see what, what happens with this game. Uh, it sounds like it's a labor of love. If anything, everybody listening should, should check out the video just because Greg Johnson does an awesome thing that I'm not even, I don't want to spoil, but it's pretty clever, I think. Um, and just funny and fun and shows a little irreverence, uh, in the video. So check it out. But yeah, I mean, Joe General, we're in this place and he even kind of talks about it. Uh, we're in this place where nostalgia is bringing back a lot of these old franchises and I'm of an age where I dig on nostalgia. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of into it. The art style is cool. I definitely agree with you there. Yeah. Really different. Very like sort of paper sketch Mm -hmm. looking. Yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. Well, there's a few other stories, but I, I'm, I have so much to talk about with, uh, games we've been playing and I know you guys do too. So, game, uh, let's game. Jeff has been playing the game. Well, I've been that playing more than has... one. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get to the playlist. Tim, what is on your playlist currently? I just just have to say I'm just giddy when I hear these bumpers in my own headphones while I'm on the show. <laughs> I'm just so flattered and honored to be here, you guys. It's so awesome. Oh, anyway, that's cool. Well, we should we should thank Sean Madigan one more time for his uh, contribution to the to yes. the cool bumpers. That that is him uh, on that one. So yes, rock and roll. He is badass. Uh, so I have I started Heroes of the Storm. Um, that's one thing uh, that I can start with. Uh, just so do we have like about- three or. Do you have like three or four hours to talk about that, Christian? Just, just me and Tim talking <laughs> no, about Heroes say, of the Storm? Tim brought it up. We've covered Heroes of the Storm. We can <laughs> move on done. to other games. Yeah, okay, <laughs> moving on, moving on. Uh, what, is, what do you played, think of it? I like it a lot. Yeah, I've only played a bit. I've played, you know, I, I dabbled with League of Legends a bit um, with some friends at Crystal a while back. Um, so that's been a while, but I never really got into the, the MOBA thing. Um, I almost made a Freudian slip there and said Dota thing. Uh, <laughs> the MOBA thing. But, and I, I, I talked to jeff over twitter on this about this um jeff jeff convinced me um on the show previously he's like here's the storm and different thing more team oriented like he was saying all the buttons pushing all my buttons i was like okay maybe this moba thing maybe here's the storm is is my jam so i committed i i bought the i bought the uh, founders (laughs) pack i was like all right i'm in this is gonna be awesome Jeff's gonna, you know, I'm gonna. He's gonna be my sensei. I'm gonna ask him yeah, to help I was, me out. It, I was he's, excited. He's, he even offered. And then I listened to an episode a few a few weeks ago where he was like, "Oh my god, I'm so tired of these people that don't know how to play the game." I spoke too soon. <laughs> I ruined it. I ruined, ruined it. it. I was so uh, upset. No, I wasn't. I wasn't upset. Tim sent me a, a, a text that said. Uh, I, I guess we won't have to play anymore. I'm sorry. And I was like, no, no, I don't. I felt so bad. Uh, I didn't mean to uh, say I don't. I don't want to play with people that don't know what they're doing. But uh, I'm um, yeah. About that. I'm definitely one of those people. I just started. Um, but I, I, I'm also a huge Blizzard fan, like Jeff. So I know all the heroes, and that I think is a big win for me specifically. I'm a little bit of a Blizzard geek, so you know, having. Um, um, uh, you know, them playing as them and having them around all mixed together with the different Blizzard universes all in one game is kind of a geek out. Uh, and I feel the team oriented aspect of it is a game changer for me specifically because I tend to, I tend to like co-op or very team centric stuff anyway. And everybody leveling up together and 
having the objective stuff in there um, really seems cool. So it's I'm just scratching the surface for sure, but I like it so far. I, re- I really do. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to go off on a whole tangent here about I have so much that I want to say about the game. I've been playing. I'm I'm completely addicted to it. Um, I spent a lot of this week uh, kind of in on Twitter trying to gather people together that know how to play. I've gotten, <laughs> I've become a monster guys. I've become <laughs> a monster. Uh, I'm, I mean, if I'm in a game and people are doing things that are <laughs> dumb, I get very upset because I, oh. this is a com- purely team. This is a team game. You live or die on teamwork. There is, it's not like a first person shooter where if the team isn't doing well on the objective, you can still have a great game. You cannot do that. You mm. can't solo. You can't run around and headshot people and, and have fun. No, you can't do that. Um, it is pure team. And so you live or die by that, right? And jumping into these quick matches, uh, with pugs, you don't know what you're going to get. It's very much a gamble of, uh, are we going to play with people that know what they're doing? And it's very frustrating. Uh, and then, I got into, I, I managed to get into a game with, with some like elite level real esports players. Uh, I was on a stream with some guys and he was like, we were all on chat and he was calling the shots and we were playing as, and it was sublime. It was like, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm running with the pack, baby. I'm uh. in it. And it was, uh, it, it was awesome. I mean, it, I could, I could go on and on about that, but, um, I think for me, I, I'm struggling with this notion of, of how, what Blizzard can do or what any of these MOBA designers can do to create an environment where people learn before they get into the bigger pool with people that already know what they're doing or that the game itself can engender some sort of, uh, tactical, you know, tutorial or, mm-hmm. you know, just so that, because, you know, if you are, I know I sound like a jerk, I totally get it. But if you are jumping into a, a quick match pool without knowing what you're doing, it's pretty selfish. It's like a selfish act. I think <laughs> it's like, you know, because there is the co-op mode. I know I sound like a jerk. There is but the co-op how, mode and you, <laughs> Go but ahead. how do I, how do I get to, get to that place like that's my conundrum now where i'm like oh man i'm gonna have to devote a lot of time to this sorry to interrupt but what what do you what do you recommend well you know play a lot of co-op mode uh play with people that know what they're talking about and and maybe try to get on headset with them watch videos like i'm i'm saying all the things that me (laughs) a year and a half ago would go i'm not doing that that sounds stupid i'm just not playing this game it's dumb but I love the game and I want everybody to play it. And I, I'm, I have become the thing that I hate and I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I wish I did, but I don't. Yeah. Well, anyway. maybe, like you said, maybe tutorialization and, and stuff like, I mean, they, they have, I guess they kind of have a little one that's in there now. Obviously I went through that and I, I've been yeah. playing against the computer and stuff and I get the basics, but you know, my, my understanding talking to friends who are obsessed with this and Dota and, and League of Legends, like it's all about knowing all of the characters really well and just the education of it and just knowing all the different events and the pacing and it just it's hours and hours ahead of me that I'm you know I don't I don't know how I would be able to devote that much time so I was relying on having some sort of sensei who was offering 
But then I'm in, man. Kind of Let's do it. it. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I not will gonna, do it. I would be I'm happy to. to it. It, I'm not, I'll, I'll, I'll do the education <laughs> on my own. I feel awful. I feel awful. Anyway. <laughs> Tim, uh, Tim, what, Tim, I'll be your sensei. I will be okay. your sensei. Delete the game. <laughs> you know, Christian, I it it may actually be the best idea. <laughs> Jeff, oh, in, gosh, in all seriousness, it. I feel like I wonder if you just got into this game at the right time. So you got in early. A lot of people were figuring it out. Hardcore Dota and League people hadn't moved over. Maybe they played with like a morbid curiosity or something like that. And you got in, you figured it out. So therefore, it was easily accessible for you because there were other people in that same state. And I feel like the analogy for me is the the best I ever was at Call of Duty was the Call of Duty 4 beta. I was good. Cause, like That's my favorite time to play competitive shooters. Halo 5 beta? Oh yeah, I'm in that because I'm, I'm not bad. <laughs> and then it opens up to the world and I'm bad. And I'm like, well, this isn't for me. And Heroes, now as it expands to the world and you're good, it's created that, that barrier of entry for these new people where somehow I wonder if the solution is, and I don't, uh, this is coming to me as I'm talking. I apologize for that. But not a rolling release, but it's like, um, you know, you, you get people in in chunks. Is this your first time? You're with noobs. And then you, you kind of graduate together. Is there like a high school type thing where you're all <laughs> freshmen? We were only fresh. And then you, you graduate up and then you release to the real world where you can't get a job. I don't know, but I feel like that, there has to be something in that, right? Like, coming in at the right time when it's new and fresh and everybody's in it and then slowly matriculating to, you know, Jeff hates people. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it's a big, big issue with these kinds of games. And um, I hate the fact that I, I have become the thing I hate. Uh, uh, there's a lot of discussion right now in the chat room about me and how terrible a person I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pain, pain <laughs> is saying, guys, Jeff's win-loss ratio in this video game of imaginary people fighting is really important. If you mess up his game by being a new player, you are so selfish. <laughs> and, and I get I, it. I get it. I would have, I would have railed against me too, but, but I get what you're saying. There's nothing more frustrating than having your group of people you're playing pickup yeah. basketball and then, you know, Fred I think shows that up. is, that is the perfect analogy because or, or or like pick up football pick up football it might even be a little more accurate just because it's like if if there's a, a bunch of guys who, who play and know what a, you know a handoff is and know when a passing play is appropriate and then some guy strolls on and doesn't know any of that stuff it's like well why are you even here dude like you're you shouldn't be here yet you, you like learn more before you come here and Nobody would go on a basketball court and then get the ball and just like dribble off in the corner. But you have like healer characters running and soloing a lane. And it's like, no, you're a heal. Stick with the group. You're supposed to heal. You know, so I don't even, Lawman. I don't even like myself when I talk no, about it. But no, Lawman, Lawman wins the chat though with the, the always relevant quote. Die young or live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Jeff Kanata. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm just giving you crap, Jeff. I, I totally understand, too. I mean, and as Christian mentioned, Halo can very much be that way sometimes, too. There's a lot of team-centric stuff going on in Halo. And, and, and you know, I get, I'm not that, you know, I'm not as good as the pros that we have on the team. But, you know, when you have somebody who's, <laughs> who's kind of dragging the team down, you notice. And, 
it's not as fun, you know, when that happens sometimes. So I get it. I'm just giving you crap, man. I don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> but it's interesting All to right. see how shooters wrestle with that too, right? With like the weapon respawn clocks and something that in Halo 2 is probably... Halo 1 is probably when I was the best just because it was local and we were hauling Xboxes and whatever until it was a closed environment of people that I was the best at. But yeah, mm-hmm. we had a dude on our team who was the rocket countdown guy, right? When someone picked it up, he was counting out for us to know when it respawns and how that is integrated into game types now and plays. You know, someone will figure this out eventually. Mm-hmm. Or we just accept that it's not figure outable and not everybody gets to play in the NFL. <laughs> Uh, All right, well, Kent, Kent Doggy Dog just uh, on the chat said it's like whiplash for MOBAs. I just had to quote that really quick. <laughs> it's like whiplash for MOBAs. I'm, I'm the Jeff's horrible... just going to yell at people and just, just make them feel terrible about themselves until they were you, get better. Were you early not my late? tempo. Were you not my tempo. <laughs> Still not my tempo. Oh, it's awful. Uh, what is that? What else is on your playlist, Tim? Uh, let's see. Oh, I'm going to go back to the thing. Um, I don't, I don't know how much we even want to talk about it, but Warlords of Draenor, I'm playing, um, one specific game, which we can, if you want to, Jeff, but Christian will punch us in the face if we talk about WoW. Um, one specific game I definitely want to mention though is Never Alone. I don't know if you guys have played it, but, um, somewhat a little bit of a PSA, but also just, um, it's, it's a cool game. Uh, this, these friends of mine, um, and many other people, Worked with the uh, Alaskan um, Native tribe up uh, up in the northern Alaska to develop, well, and actually people all over Alaska to develop this game. And there's it's kind of this cool hybrid between it's it's a it's a side you know side scroller platformer puzzler. Um, the gameplay is pretty simple, but um, for me, for my money, I think for what ended up pushing me over the edge with it was they kind of have this integration, almost like a, a documentary mixed with a video game, and they have these interviews with um, with the native people and and kind of talking about the myth that the game is taking place within. And uh, for me, I sat there with my family playing it. It, It's co-op, so I played with my daughter um, some as well. And I just sat there thinking, you know, this this seems like it's sort of the beginning of something pretty cool and different, where you have this... It's not sort of serious games, which is another tag that we've used before that is like, you know, trains people how to be firefighters or something like that, which is important, but it's kind of a different thing. This is like showing, you know, um, sharing stories, uh, cultural stories across the world, and in this case with Alaskan Natives, through the video game and kind of teaching you about the, the myth. And I, I think one of the original goals they had with, for it was actually to have kids in the community up in Alaska play the game to help them understand their own myths that they didn't know about. You know, and that was such a profound like goal to me. And throughout my whole career, I've always wanted to do something that sort of meant more than just, you know, picking up a gun and shooting, (laughs) you know, shooting your enemy. And uh, I just had fun. It's it's a fun, fun play. It's pretty short. Um, It is co-op. And then just watching the documentary kind of pieces that are basically your rewards as you go. um, Just pretty profound for me. This is called Never Alone, and it's is it on Steam? Yeah, it's on Steam um, and um, Xbox One and PS4, I believe. Oh wow, I have not played it. I, I will definitely check it out. Um, yeah, that sounds really really cool. Anything else you want to bring up? Um, <clears throat> yeah, Draenor just keeps surprising me and keeps. Um, I don't know if you're still playing, um, but uh, 
Uh, just, have you done any selfies? Have you had a little selfie cam? <laughs> no, no. I just, I just, uh, I think I just had one of my followers do the mission where you get that selfie cam thing. So nice. Yet, but the garrison alone just is so amazing. The m- amount of depth that they put in that thing. Yeah. Now you can summon bosses into your garrison for yeah. boss fights. Oh, yeah. so brilliant. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm still addicted to WoW. I come off and on, but right now I'm addicted at least. Um, yeah. And one I didn't put on my list that I wanted to mention that I'm a little obviously behind on, but I did finally finish um, Ground Zero's um, Metal Gear, which I'm a big fan of. And <clears throat> if um, if five is basically gameplay wise Ground Zero's, um, but like times five or something, I will just be in heaven. Just the uh, the kind of open world sandbox element that that game that that um, Ground Zero's sort of introduces that I've always wanted in Metal Gear being such a big fan. Like I just want to kind of the shackles to be taken off and be able to do whatever I wanted in a space. Um, had such a great time with, with ground zero story stuff aside. I will, I won't bring up, but, but the gameplay was just uh, really fun. So I'm looking forward to five. Yeah. It's a beautiful, again, story stuff to be debated, but gameplay wise, a beautiful take on and, and advancing what is Metal Gear gameplay in a way that's new and fresh and unique where a guard from the clear other side of the map might discover your downed guard and where does that put yours before you could clear an area and then yeah. you know that no one from the locker room is going to come get you per se. And it's really, really interesting. I'm, I am very excited for five. Hopefully it, it um, takes that little nugget of ground zeros and, and blows it up times a million. Yeah. I've always been really, really impressed and, and excited about their, their systems design and how they have everything work together. But in the past games, it's always been kind of room by room, you know, and, and uh, I think they get hit for that a lot. And I, I feel like more open areas like, like ground zeros has is the perfect place to have those systems all play together. Finally. Um, I'm bummed that they're, well, I don't know if they've announced it, but I, I would love to play that game co-op, um, and that would be the, the perfect game. Oh, yeah. I guess there was an announcement of an announcement this in the last couple of days. So we have an Metal Gear Solid announcement coming. They announced that there will be announcements. So <laughs> we'll see what that is. Uh, Christian, you, on your playlist, have a game that's also on mine. I'm wondering if you're loving it as much as I am. So... Uh, the game we're talking about is Kirby and the Rainbow Curse. And I think I need to apologize to all of our listeners and everyone that is a, a hater of me will be like, finally, he realizes it. I guess I don't have good taste in video games. I played, <laughs> I I completed the order since our last, I had not uh, reached the very, very end of it last time we talked. I completed the order and no, 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 not groundbreaking, not, you know, graphics, yes, but in terms of gameplay or whatever, not revolutionary, not the best game I've ever played, but I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I played Kirby and the Canvas Curse back in 09, whenever that was, 2010. One of the best DS games ever released, in my opinion. Incredible. Uh, justified the system in a way that Nintendo had yet. To, I mean, it was an early game on the DS, so it wasn't super late into the lifespan. Incredible, great game. And... um. I haven't revisited since I played it way back when, but um, I enjoyed the order in Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, which is a $39 game. Again, I can't put a price on it for you if you should or should not pay that much money for it. I really like this game. I I don't, I mean, it's getting middling reviews if you look at other scores out there and, and things. And one of the critiques people have against it so far that I've seen is that it doesn't have charm and it lacks the... What? I mean, I think the claymation thing is oozes charm it's not a the game i haven't finished it but i i feel like i'm close 
it's what seven seven worlds i think something like that mm-hmm. i mean the the claymation style alone has carried me through five <laughs> like it's beautiful yeah. it's fun it doesn't introduce new you know it's not mario you're not getting um new suits there are i think you're a tank a submarine and um one other one oh man it doesn't matter but like yeah could they do more whatever 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 probably but it's fun it's it's beautiful and it's difficult in a i think very enjoyable way where nintendo often where the difficulty comes from in their you know i don't even know i know alex berg on this show is like what is a platformer anymore i don't know if this is a platformer per se it's a 2d side scrolling line drawer (laughs) it's a platformer yeah but to get all of the the collectibles that you can unlock i mean there are challenges to get your little dude up to to um you know to, to, to the areas we need to get the treasure chest my only complaint in terms of controlling the game and i feel like i didn't have this on canvas curse maybe i just don't remember or i was better or the smaller screen maybe helped i find that i'm not able to change Kirby's direction as quickly as I would like. Because you control the game by drawing lines on the screen that he rolls on, and you tap at him to get him to do a spin attack, and then you hold down on him, and he becomes an inflated dude and bounces around and destroys bigger objects. Those are basically all of your controls. But I feel like there are times where you need to do to get some of these treasure, treasure chests, at least the way I've drawn my line, is I need to get Kirby to do a 180. And I, I'm not able to pull it off um, as regularly as I'd like, but you're enjoying. I just draw a the line game. in front of him. You just draw a little teeny line in front of him, and he bounces off of it and turns around. I do, and then yeah, it, I mean, it's my drawing skills. I'm sure I'll do that, but then he'll stick to the line longer than I want, and whatever, whatever. Are you using How, your finger or a or a like a stylus of some? Sty- are, you, are you using your finger? I'm using my finger. Yeah, you're what? I know, weird, right? That I am super, though. Maybe I need to try it. If it were. How deep are you in the game? Probably not as deep as you. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm. This is the game that I play after I get frustrated with <laughs> Heroes of the Storm. It, it, it is, it is a wonder, it's pure whimsy. It's pure joy. It's, it's that game that I can pick up and just relax and then have a great time and feel, feel good. Uh, and as you said, the art design goes so far to do that. My big complaint with the game is that I have no reason to turn my television on. Um, it looks so beautiful on my big screen television, but I never look at the television. So I literally can play that game just turning on the, the Wii pad and my wife can be watching TV or whatever and use the TV for something else. And I can be playing Kirby. Um, however, have you played it in multiplayer? I have not. My, my daughter, who was a little over two, I was sitting on the couch playing and she ran over and I, I don't think she could play it yet, but she she no. she played some using the stylus, and she is so cute. I'm biased, but she's so cute. Saying she runs around now. Her two video game sayings. Sorry, it's a little tangent. Her two video game sayings are uh, "Kirby, Kirby roll," and she'll like take her toys and roll them. And be like, "Look, Daddy, it's Kirby," which is adorable. <laughs> and then the other thing that she just says randomly when I'm playing video games or we're trying to watch a like a Disney movie, because <laughs> like my Xbox One, I don't know it it. Uh, I don't know. It hangs. I feel like I don't know if there's a memory leak in that thing. I don't know. I, uh, it uh, frustrates me sometimes, the console itself. Um, but so we'll try to watch a movie and it will freeze or hang or kick me back to the dash. And so Estelle will just walk around the house sometimes when I'm playing video games, go, I'll help you, daddy. Xbox, go home. Go home. <laughs> Xbox, go home. And she's like really concerned. It's pretty sweet. <laughs> but I haven't. Have you fired up 
um, multiplayer because that apparently yeah, makes it it's awesome. easier. It's so cool. It does make it a lot easier. Uh, I played it with my wife and it, one player plays the normal Kirby game on the Wii pad drawn lines and stuff. And the other player plays a conventional platformer, uh, as one of the waddle D's, you know, the waddle D guy. Uh, and you have like a spear and you can sh- attack stuff with your spear and jump on and on the platforms that I'm creating with my lines and stuff. So if there's a bad guy, she just runs up and smacks him and then I can, you know, make Kirby go by safely. It's, it really does make the game easier, but it's really fun and it makes you have a reason to turn the television on for that game. Um, it's charming, wonderful, easy to recommend at 40 bucks. If you have a Wii U, it, it also brings up this thought in my mind, which is you couldn't make this game well, you could, but it, it, the new 3DS and the current 3DS, the 3DS in general, isn't designed to make this game anymore because well, you, the top, the top screen is the game screen and the bottom touch screen isn't the game screen. So these types of games aren't even that were sort of designed from the D- DS itself. They don't even have a place there anymore. You could, it just wouldn't. Utilize the 3D, the new 3DS. Well, it wouldn't XL. utilize the big wide right. screen at the top, which is where the game is supposed to be played. It's right. It does have a weird. bigger touch screen now than it did before. But yes, it would be even weirder to say that you know you don't have to have your TV on to play this game. It'd be even weirder to have this be a 3DS game and like your inventory yeah. is in 3D at the top or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, weird. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, a game that I've been playing a lot this week as well, and it's another of these incredible Steam indie games that I've been sort of on the on the train about lately. Uh, I talked about Sunless Sea, and I talked about Darkest Dungeon, both of which I highly recommend. Go back and listen previous weeks to hear me rave about those games. I, I think this one is even more made for me because it marries uh things that i love together uh roguelike role-playing game styles and board games uh this is a game called hand of fate and it was recommended by a viewer i really wish i could remember who recommended it on twitter because i have to thank them you know who you are thank you very much uh hand of fate just came out of early access on steam uh, recently so it is fully released it is awesome and brilliant so the idea is you are engaging in this game, a uh, card game with this mysterious stranger. So in first person, you're, you're literally sitting at a table with this stranger who's talking to you and dealing cards to you. And you, he deals out cards that are your inventory. He deals out cards that are the dungeon itself, much like a, a tile laying dungeon crawling game like, um, Betrayal at House on the Hill or something like that, or, or you know, a designer board game in that in that vein. Hi, I'm uh, I'm, and- I'm Christian. Shut up, sit down. I'm dealing you cards. What's your name? No time for questions, son. You got a game to play. <laughs> That's actually very similar to how the game is. He has a really cool voiceover, and he's like, "Many people sit here. What do they want? They want to win. Uh, you won't win. You know, it's that kind of like. It's really cool. It's it's very much that uh, Bastion esque kind of thing. That's out. Darkest Dungeon does the same thing. And th- these games that sort of have this this continuing narrator almost that uh, I find to be very compelling and interesting. Uh, anyway. So he deals out a dungeon and it could be, it, it's random. It could be in a, a variety of different, uh, 
different patterns. And then you have this little pawn that you move along the card, at, you know, and you spend food to move your pawn one forward. So you have to manage getting food and, and how far you're going to try to travel. And you don't know what's under each card until you arrive at it. He flips over the card and that card is an encounter. So sometimes it's monsters that you have to fight. Sometimes it's a little story moment where you're meeting the maiden who offers you a riddle or you're meeting, uh, you're going to a circus and you're experiencing these weird situations at a circus and it's all sort of text based but then they they end up being games of chance where he'll show you four cards like two of them are success and two of them are failure or one of them is huge success one of them is regular success one of them is huge failure and and then they flips them over and you select which card uh you know just trying to beat beat fate right and he flips over the card and oh you got failure and so some story thing happens if it's a combat though you the game dives you into in a, almost like an old japanese role-playing game uh where you know if you hit uh, the combat thing all of a sudden you're in this this environment that looks vaguely like the place you were in but is is uh confined to that small little area and then you have a battle in a similar way, you are then transported into fully 3D rendered battle arena and you have to fight the enemies there. And the way you fight the enemies there are, is basically Batman Arkham City combat. It is fully, uh, fully real time combo based. Uh, guys have little, you know, uh, alert marks that shoot out over their head when they're going to attack you and you can try to block or dodge very much Batman. Arkham City style, Arkham Asylum style combat. Uh, not quite as tight, I would say, as those games, but still very, very fun. I'm playing the game with a controller. Uh, and the cool thing is you're constructing your deck through this entire process like you would in a game of Dominion or any other deck building game where each time you win, it unlocks new cards like you would in Hearthstone or something and that you can add to your deck and build the deck how you want to build it so that you have these weapons. And as you uh, emerge in this 3D battle arena, it layers the cards onto your character so that the card that you got, that's the cool sword or the cool shield or the cool helmet get layered on your guy. And those all have different properties that that give you bonuses to the real time action combat. It's so clever and it's done like a roguelike so that each time you sit down at the table, each each new adventure and he's like, oh, you have to fight the uh, the Jack of Scales, which is this lizard guy. And you're going through his deck to you get to do the Queen of Skulls and the the King of Dust. And, you know, you're attacking all these guys. Uh, but each time you are going after one of those cards is its own roguelike adventure. So you start with a base level of nothing and build up your stuff from there each time. So you're delving deeper into this dungeon, seeing how far you can go, see if you can uncover the card that is the main challenge, defeat that challenge, and then you defeat that. So it's very self-contained. It makes for great self-contained play sessions, I find. I I do one of those adventures and then I can stop and go back to playing Heroes of the Storm or whatever. Um, fantastic. Fantastic game. I do wish the combat was... As much as I love that Batman style, 
I think the game would be even more challenging and more tactical and more interesting if it was more like a Dark Souls level of combat. If it was really technical and precise and challenging, the game initially isn't very challenging. It gets more challenging because they continue to layer things into those arenas and all of a sudden you'll have traps that'll be firing off as you're fighting or the, the, you'll get curses, um, that layer on more difficult challenges onto your character. Uh, so it gets more challenging, but I think if it started out like Dark Souls combat where you really have to pay attention, it would be even better. Easy to recommend. I think this is one of my top games of the year right now. Um, and I, I love it. Uh, you had me at Batman combat. I think, woo, man, I guess you dropped Dark Souls combat into this thing though. That is a, I mean, that's a tough nut to crack, right? Like that's a, that's going to be a brutal, that's definitely not your break from getting frustrated playing heroes game. That's your break. You'll play heroes when you get frustrated playing this game. Um, it's PC only steam, I believe right now, right? No, I think it's, I think it's a console game as well. I'm playing it on steam, but I believe it's PS4, Xbox one also. Oh, I'm not okay. sure if it's out on those platforms, but, um, and what is the game called again? One more time. Hand, hand of fate, hand of fate, uh, just great, clever, so interesting, smashing up all these different genres and, and play styles. Um, man. Awesome. One of the best games I've played all year, for sure. Wow. Um, yeah, anything else you guys want to bring up, or shall we move on now? I, I just wanted to clarify really quick. Um, Ground Zeroes, I actually am playing the PC, the PC version, um, which I actually oh, cool. waited for on purpose because I wanted to crank up all the settings and stuff on my new PC. So um, it's a good port. just wanted to mention it's a good port. Somebody in the chat mentioned it as well, so. Awesome. Very cool to know. Uh, were you going to say something, Christian? Oh, I've uh, officially put Gunman Clive 2 down. Um, got through it with one character. Started going through it. There's three possible characters. Still totally recommend the game for $3. Tons of fun. Uh, started going through it with the second character. And uh, I started hitting frustration points. We're like, that's not how you do this level. Because, you know, the level's not different because of a new character. So update. Tons of fun. $3. Loved it. Second character got maybe a third through the game and was like, you know what? Uh, I'll play some more Smash th- for 3DS <laughs> as my 3DS game. Cool. Well, let's uh, carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Tim, it looks like you've got uh, a little tabletop time. Oh, I I forgot the story of glory. We'll do that after tabletop time. Um, let's uh, let's find out what you've been playing on the tabletop. Yeah, I um, I wanted to make sure that I didn't have the same answer that um, I think too many people have, where they they say, "Oh, I don't have the time or the opportunity to play tabletop." So I forced myself. I had it. I've had uh, this uh, Call of Cthulhu, <laughs> the card game. Um, from F- Fantasy Flight for a couple years, and I just never, never had the opportunity to play it. So I uh, coerced some folks at work to make sure that they played it with me. And one of the guys actually had played it before, so he kind of gave us a, um, you know, he was our sort of GM, so to speak, even though it's not that kind of game. Um, anyways, Fantasy Flight, um, Call of Cthulhu game. I'm a huge Cthulhu fan, and it kind of has rekindled my love of Cthulhu, so I'm sort of starting some, um, some old Cthulhu games and reading some stuff um, again because of it. 
Um, it's Fantasy Flight Living Card Game, which I wasn't sure. Is Living Card Game a Fantasy Flight term, or is that an actual like industry term? I was going to. It's ask. an industry term. Yeah, okay. it's it's to differentiate from trading card games. So Magic the Gathering is this trading card game right. where you're you know you buy a pack and who knows what you're going to get. Living Card Game is you buy a box or a pack or whatever, and you know exactly what's in it. That box is self-contained. There's no collectability, right? Per se. Yeah. Yeah. I do know what Magic the Gathering is, Jeff. Thank you for <laughs> no, I didn't uh, mean refreshing. To, I, didn't mean to, I was just <laughs> no, doing that as I'm a differentiator. Yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I used to be a big Magic player, and I also played the Star Wars um, game as well. But just the collectability of it, just you know, it's just a huge investment. So yeah. I was really excited about the Living Card Game thing. So anyway, we played a few, um, played a bit of that game on Friday just to make sure um, you know I had played something recently because I wanted to talk about it, and I've been I just been wanting to play it for a while. So it's a cool. Um, I haven't played too many living card games um, specifically, but I love the idea of a closed deck and um, being a Cthulhu fan, like there's the point of the game um, is to actually win these story cards. So they've actually done a pretty cool job at integrating sort of Cthulhu stories from, from the Lovecraft um, novels, like these little um, vignettes of stories that come along with it. And you obviously each, uh, there's different factions, so you can play your, your, you can build your hand um, from any of the factions. And then you fight each other for these story cards. Um, and, you know, there's insanity, um, of course, and they're in combat and lore challenges. And as you play your cards, a little bit like magic, you're obviously fighting against each other. Um, and then once you achieve, uh, once you uh, acquire enough points to win one of these story cards, then some sort of event happens on the story that's, that's written on the story card itself and kind of is a game changer. And the point is to win three story cards, um, the first one to win three. Uh, so it's just like, it was a cool, it's just a cool immersion into the Cthulhu mythos, which I love. And I loved having the decks sort of pre-built for you, but also, you know, all, all inclusive. And, uh, uh, it's just the typical thing that happens with great card games, similar to, uh, Hearthstone or whatever. These cool stories came out of it, you know, where somebody brought out Cthulhu himself and, uh, you know, and just a huge battle happened and then someone backstabbed him and just, these great little moments um, sort of transpired throughout it. I ended up winning, uh, so awesome. uh, it was it was good it game. Very cool. I have not played this one, um, but uh, I'm noticing that one of the designers is listed as Eric Lang, who really he's freaking designing everything at Fantasy Flight these days. But he's he's the guy behind um, Quarriers and Marvel Dice Masters and XCOM the board mm. game Christian, which you you and I played, uh, and lots of other stuff, and the Game of Thrones card game. So he's He's the real deal. Uh, this it does sound very, very cool. Yeah. yeah, I like Fantasy Flight a lot. I'm also in um, an on again, off again, um, Edge of the Empire role playing game campaign that we play uh, over Skype, which is by them as well. Uh, Star Wars, awesome. Uh, yeah, it's, I've it's, been dying uh, to try that. Uh, I love the the dice stuff. Sounds so neat. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a really interesting. I didn't list it here, but um, I should have because uh, we haven't played in a while. But uh, it's it's it sounds like it's similar to fifth edition in that it's very heavily focused on storytelling and role playing and the dice or the abstraction that the dice have with their their crazy you know force dice and all that stuff um it gives the players and the gm sort of the ability to kind of guide the game in a balanced way but also gives them flexibility to kind of do some cool role playing along the way um like it sounds like fifth edition which i haven't i haven't read up on fifth edition yet but if you're a Star Wars fan, and uh, which I am, of course, and role-playing fan, I, I definitely recommend Edge of the Empire, for sure. 
Yeah, I think uh, Quinn was when he was on the show uh, from uh, Shut Up and Sit Down. He was talking very highly about that game too, and I've been, I've been wanting right. to try it, but um, haven't had a chance yet. I was actually at a convention a couple months ago and staring at it, and and like, oh, do I buy this now? Do I buy this now? But I did not buy it. Uh, but yeah, I'm wanting to. Uh, Christian, board games. So we teased this last week, and we don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but. Amongst you and the, you know, board game aficionado enthusiasts, typical games you see at your Target and Toys R Us, often many of them. Uh, real quick, look- I just want to say, I just want to say real quick, I love aficionados. I love that term. People who are aficionados but are affectionate about that, like love the games. Aficionados, you just coined it. Awesome. Continue. You're welcome, and I have shirts available for sale on my Etsy, so log in over there. The link is in your bio. Um, so I, I revisited Monopoly because, woo, what a train wreck of a game, but people are willing to sit down and play it, and I hadn't played it in, I don't know, years, right? I'm not a big board game guy in general, and um, it's it's bad. It remains bad. <laughs> it remains dull and boring, and even when it is your turn, there's not, there's not like action or stakes in your movement. So my question to you, Jeff, uh, Jeff, Jeff, um, me talk pretty. Um, As an affectionado, yes. Why is this game, how did it make it? Momentum, like, wh- dude. Momentum. That's it. You think it's Things just emotion herd mentality? Tend to stay in motion. Just- dude, that's what, that's what I fight against with this segment of the show and just in general in my life. That's when you say, you want to play a board game? That's what people think of, Monopoly. And they go, no, I don't want to play a board game. That's the problem is that the, mechanics and the design of board games have come so far from that in the you know 80 years or whatever it's been (laughs) i mean i would argue though that they were better than that before um oh man what's the name uh choir (laughs) what'd you say choir says hi acquire there's a game called acquire that was out and you know not quite as old as monopoly but uh yes is an amazing game that's old I mean, is this, I want, maybe it's out there. If anyone listening knows like the business case study of how Monopoly got the Monopoly and is in store shelves everywhere and has, you know, like geek editions and football editions and whatever, whatever, whatever. And people have taken it on with better takes on a similar, you know, somewhat similar approach to buying and selling uh, properties or moving around this board. I mean, People buy it on Xbox Live. There's a PSN version. I'm pretty. I don't. I. I legitimately don't get it. And again, maybe Christian is an idiot and has bad taste. He likes Kirby. Enjoyed the order and hates Monopoly. What a loser. Um, but no, I, I, mean, I concur with all three of those. And I get. And I. I get Transformers movies. I. I get that. Right. Like, is it good? No. Is it going to win an Oscar? Maybe for visual effects. But like, is it? You sit down and turn off your brain and eat a bucket of popcorn. Sure. You know what I mean? But I don't, I don't get it. And is it, is it just to teach kids math? I, I don't know. Anyway, if no, anyone I think I, it became a cultural, it became part of culture, right? That's and worse though. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. I, I feel like, um, I agree with you, Jeff. It's, I don't know if it's like a generational thing or something. Cause I remember my parents played it when they were younger and then they taught it to me. And it's one of those things that it hit, you know, back then when maybe there weren't, to, to, to Christian's point, maybe there weren't as many good things back then, good games back then to compare it to, and, and that's all they played. I don't know, but it just keeps getting passed down. And I've actually made a conscious decision 
to uh, in in my current with my daughter to not have her play Monopoly and break the cycle uh, specifically because a I don't think she'd she'd have fun with it but but just I I just don't enjoy playing it myself any you know anymore even yeah, though I kind of grew up on it. What a sad legacy to hand out. What did you give your kids? Well, I worked really hard, so I'd have this nice retirement egg, and then I gave them the plague and taught them how to play <laughs> Monopoly. Like, what are we doing? Well, I have I have uh, the solution. I can marry both of your uh, uh, positions, guys, because uh, there's a game. I haven't played it, so I can't personally vouch for how good it is, but there's a game called The Doom That Came to Atlantic City. Have you guys heard of this? Mm-hmm. It was a big Kickstarter, actually, kind of controversy because the guys who designed it uh, screwed over all their Kickstarter backers. But it was picked up by Cryptozoic, a legit uh, publisher of board games, and is out now uh, and is actually Monopoly if Monopoly was taken over by Cthulhu. Yes. So – the idea I mean, it's not a themed monopoly board it's it's got its own rules and it's from what i hear it's actually a an interesting game but the idea is that it's the monopoly world has been destroyed by great old ones from <laughs> from cthulhu and it's like this this depressing kind of destruction that happens uh like i said i haven't played it but i've heard it's actually pretty clever and funny oh check that out yeah look for yeah it. the doom that came to atlantic city um, I played, uh, with my wife and her sister and, uh, my brother-in-law, uh, a game of Scoville this week. This is a game I was looking forward to for a long time. It's another Kickstarter game, uh, but from Tasty Minstrel, who, uh, a lot of their games I really dig. And Scoville has such a clever theme. You are, and people may know that the Scoville test is this test of how hot a pepper is. Um, and this is a game about growing and cultivating hot peppers. And so you are literally trying to get the hottest peppers you can, and they're color coded by rarity and difficulty to grow in the game. Uh, not really based on real life, but whatever. Uh, and then you, you can either cr- put them, you can either sell them directly for, for money, or you can, uh, sell them at, on this marketplace that'll get you points to, to win the game. Or you can put them into chili recipes and sell them at the chili cook-off uh, and get even more points. Uh, but the, the clever mechanic of this game is that as you collect these peppers, you plant them in a shared board that the entire you know, all the players have access to. And it's cool. There's little pepper meeples, little, little, um, wooden peppers that are color coded and you literally place them into holes, pepper shaped holes on the board and you create this grid of peppers. Then you take your little farmer guy on a never, another phase of the game and walk around between the peppers. And depending on what color pepper is on either side of you creates a new pepper as you're harvesting the peppers. So if you planted a yellow pepper and a blue pepper between those two, you get a green pepper. So it's kind of color theory as well, but you work up to creating these super hot white peppers and super hot black peppers. And then ultimately this insanely hot, clear translucent pepper, which is a really cool little bit piece that's in the game. Uh, and then you combine those and collect those and, and sell them or put them into re- pepper recipes. 
Uh, and, and the, the key part about wandering around that field with your guy is that if you are on a space, the other players can't move through your space or land on your space. So there's all this wonderful tactics about blocking off pathways to get to the more valuable pepper combinations by, you know, stopping in a certain place or moving your guy between another person and what they, you think they want to go for. Really fun screw your neighbor elements. Uh, I really dug this and it was a big hit with my, um, my, uh, wife and, and her sister and, and my brother-in-law as well. Um, really cool game. It takes it, it not, not a lot to learn. It's a little bit daunting, I think, to, to some players because it has three phases. There's like an auction phase to auction the, you know, starting player position. And there's really cool sort of power grid-esque starting player mechanic where one phase uh, the players go in one direction and then the next phase they go in reverse direction. So sometimes it's more valuable to for you to be the last player because even though you go last in the first phase, you go first in the second phase. It's a lot of really cool strategy there as well. But uh, pretty easy for me to teach. Uh, people picked it up pretty quick. And the, the component quality is so, so great. And the little, the little, uh, pepper pieces are so fun to just play with and have. And, and they're all, they're not just color coded, but they're height coded. So they have really tall ones that are more valuable. Really fun game. It's called Scoville and it's from Tasty Minstrel Games. Cool dudes. So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, man, Tim. How great. This is so, so great. We've got to have you back. I have, I have loved having you on the show. Thanks so much oh, for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure, and I'd love to come back, for sure. Yeah. Uh, where can people follow your exploits in the meantime? Um, my Twitter, um, which I, I don't use enough, is uh, Tim Longo Jr., uh, T-I-M-L-O-N-G-O-J-R, um, at, at Tim Longo Jr. So I guess there, and obviously at Halo.com for... Uh, or at Halo for uh, Halo 5 news. But uh, yeah, we're pretty much heads down. So that's kind of uh, all I'm doing this year, for sure. Great. Well, um, I'm excited for I'm excited for E3. That's for sure. That hype train is a start in. Yeah. Under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christian. You're, Keep you up. Cruel, I'll, man. <laughs> I'll be, uh, that'll be in my uh, head now for the rest of the day, for sure. Well, that's a good song to have in your head, because remember, it, it goes, it goes dun, 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 da, da, dun, dun. And... <laughs> Ice Ice Baby goes da dun 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 da dun dun, dun dun So different. Yep. <laughs> Slightly different. Yep, I remember. <laughs> Speaking of stuff to listen to, Christian, what if I wanted to, I don't know, listen to a top-rated comedy album this this week? Where would I go? You go to iTunes.com. I don't iTunes, it's Christian Spicer, Moment in Time. It is my debut comedy album. Uh, one show, one take, raw, and I'm proud of it. It's what I wanted it to be. Check it out. If you like it, leave it a good review. If you didn't like it, Keep your mouth shut, dude. I don't know. Don't ruin my dreams. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, pretty that, great, man. I, I really like it. It's it's fantastic. Thanks, dude. And then I will be in Austin um, for a wedding and some other things. But uh, a good friend of mine, funny, awesome comic, host of the Dork Forest podcast, Jackie Cashin, is headlining um, Cap City Comedy Club. And it looks like I'll be doing a, a guest set with her on Thursday night, March 5th at 8 p.m. in Austin, Texas. So if you're there... Um, come by, say hi. I'll be at that show. And, um, I think Friday I'm doing, uh, I'm guesting on current geek with Scott Johnson and those fine people. And another shout out to Topaz420, who already has the show thread for this very episode. I'm still talking in up over at the subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash five by five 
DLC in that guy, incredible. man, MVP, MVP of, uh, of the show. He's, uh, he's the best. And we're going to give him like 12 links right here at the end that he's going to have to stick in the show in real time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Moment in but time, I Cap should City say, Comedy Club, um, <laughs> Jackie Cash and Dork Forest, Scoville. I should say here in the, in the chat, uh, DC19 says Tim should give a shout out to his wife's book, Six Feet Over It, one of his favorite books of 2014. Yeah, I saw that. I was so I just How replied cool back to that? him. Yeah, that's pretty cool. She yeah, she's it's her first it's her debut novel from Random House. So check out uh it's young adult, but uh it's uh it's really for everybody. So glad somebody's read it and it. liked it. Yeah. Does she does she know about YA Fest in Austin at the Alamo, Tim? Uh I don't think she knows about that one. She's kind of just getting her feet under her when it comes to festivals, so I'll mention right. it. I'll I'll DM you. We'll set it up. I'm friends with them, and it's an awesome. Oh. I think now third year fast in incredible. I'll, we'll, I'll talk offline. Is, is she looking for seasoned voiceover artist to do maybe an audio book <laughs> version? I, I thought I just, about uh, that. Yeah, I thought about that. I, I'll let you know when she does. <laughs> awesome. I would love to hear you read uh, read this book that is uh, in the narration voice of a 15 year old girl. So can't I can do wait. that. I, I'm, okay. I I have range, baby. I have range. Good. Good. Can't wait. <laughs> do you see her? Uh, do you hear how he says Linda? Oh, Linda. I mean, he's yeah. got it. Oh, Linda. That's how I would do the whole book. <laughs> she walked from the room. No, that's not how I would do it. Uh, all right, guys. If you want to hear uh, more comedy from me, you can go to wehaveconcerns.com. We do, uh, we just did our, our 100th episode came out today, this morning. And guess what? It's a live episode that we did because of Mr. Christian Spicer. We have to thank Professor profusely for inviting us to be part of his show at nerd melt part of the lab at nerd melt uh, and uh, punch club which is his sketch comedy group so much fun we recorded the show live there uh patrons get a video version of that show too uh but uh, yeah we did 100 episodes so you can check out that show uh three new ones every week at wehaveconcerns.com uh and also the slash filmcast we're reviewing uh focus this week so keep your eyes out for that at slash filmcast.com nice but uh, before I don't get it. What did I say? Keep your eye out for that. I don't know. <laughs> oh, focus. Okay. Fair enough. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, let's, uh, before we wrap things up, let's send the people out with a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Sean Madigan with another awesome bumper for the show. Parting gift. Um, Tim, you got something to send the people out on this week? Yes. Um, I wanted to, I guess a little bit of a weird one, but I think it still works. Um, I am a geocacher. I'm not a huge awesome. geocacher, but um, I'm probably um, over 200 now, which is in the grand scheme of things isn't even that many. But uh, definitely recommend it. People should get out there. It's this cool, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's a kind of a cool combo of, of scavenger hunt and kind of video game collection but with the real world, get out hiking, get out uh, exercising and, and out of the house um, looking for these things. And I think it's a blast. And there's sort of, I think there's over like two or three million in the whole world. So any place you go, there's probably one nearby. So what do you use for your, for your uh, GPS? Do you use your phone or something else? Yeah, good point. Um, there is an awesome, I use my phone. Um, there's an awesome um, for pay app that geocaching.com puts out itself. It's a little bit pricey, but I think it's totally worth it um, as an app. It's really well integrated into your GPS on the phone and everything. And 
that's really, I think, the way to go. You can do it by downloading to GPS devices and stuff, but I think it's a little too much extra effort there. Um, I just, you know, I'm waiting uh, anywhere I'm waiting uh, in, you know, for my wife or, or waiting for a bus or whatever. I'll just, I'll just uh, put up, you know, that app and check and see if there's anything nearby and, and I'll just go snag the geocache. It's super fun. So cool. Yeah. It makes you feel like you're part of a secret society that's under everyone's noses <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> cool. Christian, you got a, well, actually, no, Tim, you said you had a, you had a second pick. We're going to, we're going to bend the rules and let you have a second pick. Oh, okay. If, uh, if that's cool. Yeah. I was going to mention a comic book called East of West by image comics. Um, also a comic reader, uh, general geek in, you know, um, for all things geeky. Uh, but, uh, East of West is this cool, um, kind of combo of futuristic Western with a little bit of Cthulhu in there, a little bit of kind of, uh, creepiness um really well done by jonathan hickman writes it um he's really kind of the com- one of the comic prolific comic greats right now in my opinion um but the art style i forget who the artist's name is i apologize i, I didn't get it in time but um really good comic book that image is putting out and i think image is really on a roll when it comes to kind of indie indie uh, comics right now so east of west definitely check it out yes very cool christian what about you parting gift You've probably heard of it. There's a little show. Season three is on Netflix now called House of Cards. Um, I haven't finished it, but I'm a good chunk into it. Enjoyable and uh, not maybe as strong as others in my opinion, but Monument Valley. Yay. Yeah. Kevin Spacey's character has always played video games in these oftentimes very product placementy. And this season he uh, shows some indie game love. So I wanted to, you know, if you're not watching House of Cards, I can highly recommend seasons one and two if you like that political thriller kind of thing. And season three so far is uh, enjoyable as well. Here's what I don't like about House of Cards. I've only, I'm only three episodes into the third season and I feel like I'm behind and it's been out like 48 hours and I, it kills me. Well, it's that's like, Netflix. Uh, I am, I'm uh, taking, I'm taking the day off, you know, mentally, emotionally and physically when Daredevil comes out. Cause yep, I'm yep. doing all of that. And that's, that is the hard part. Longer story. Um, shared experiences. They're weird now, right? It's not the same as before. We yeah. all watch Transformers. We all watch Thundercats because there are only so many shows. Now it's, oh yeah, House of Cards is old news. <laughs> it's a race. It's a race. And I'm uh, loving the third season so much, but it's like, it's a responsibility to get through it. I'm uh, ugh. Anyway, um, I wanted to mention um, the wireless headsets that I've been using. I think actually, I was going to mention this last week, but it's, I think, Tim, I think you're using the exact same one right at this moment. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I got these a while back and I haven't brought them up on the show, but they changed my life. Uh, I, I have the Astro A50s. They're expensive. They're not cheap, but I think they're worth it. I, for a while, was using these other Triton ones uh, that I got on, on I think, um, on Groupon or something. I got them for cheap and, boy, they were not good. And moving into a sort of more expensive but actually really well-made wireless headset changed everything because not having a cord connected, being able to play games during the day and not bother anybody but have really great audio. Oh, gosh, I dig them. Um, not not a product placement, just uh, the fact that I dig really great wireless headset and my Astro A50s are, are doing the job. Yeah, they are really nice. Cool. All right, guys, that's going to do it. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you did, too. Thanks for sticking around with us. And thanks to everybody who's in the chat room. Uh, Thanks to the folks at 5x5. Thank you to Christian Spicer and Tim Longo. Thank you for listening. And until next week, think about what you put out into the world 
make it a better place.